0: And uh, we're going to spend time over the next month uh, with a little bit of a play on words, right? Talking about what it means for all of us to be part of Christ's community and this missional church—a church that is going outside uh, to be Jesus uh, in our places of of life. So we're going to talk about that. And uh, just one note from the video: I don't know if you noticed this, but bunko was associated with old people. It was old person bunko in the video, so um, I know there's a love for bunko at Christ Community. So no insinuations there. That no, I'm just kidding. That was supposed to be lighthearted, but I don't think it very. I don't think it was. <laughs> so um, you are very young if you play bunko. All right, very good. Check out check out my jokes next time. All right, good. So uh, find Matthew four. Let's just go to scripture. That's a safe place. That's a safe place. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. While you find that, let me, uh, let, me let you know about a couple of, of ways that your family can get engaged with the mission of Christ Community Church. Tonight at uh, Katie Gaither's house, uh, I think it's 14, and, and Chris Gaither's house. He lives there too. <laughs> he lives there too. So, uh, yeah, we love men and women in our church, it's awesome and it should also be pointed out that Tiffany was the athletic star who dated the bandy so Wes is the band geek. Wes is the band geek. (laughs) So uh, anyway, Chris and Katie's house tonight, sailor and a team of leaders for our students are going to do sloppy olympics That's six o'clock that's for grade six and up. Um, That's going to be a super fun time Uh, so if you're going into sixth grade or higher Come on out, join us. It's going to be a good time and, and hear about what's coming up this fall. If you've got kids who are younger than that, know that next week in Community Kids is Promotion Sunday. So they'll move up a grade. They'll, you know, Some kids are going to get to be a part of the elementary fun whatever for the first time. It's going to be a fun time. Uh, and then one other thing that's going on to be excited about as a church, next Sunday night, August 6th, uh, there's going to be a preview service for our uh, Midland location, which is launching on the 13th. So um, exciting stuff coming up, all right? All right, so Matthew 4. Um, Matthew 4. All right, here we go. We're going to start in verse 13. Sorry, Matthew 3. My bad. If you've got your phone, hit the back button. Turn the page if you're in your scripture. Matthew 3, starting in verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, "Uh, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Uh, But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word today. We pray that you would uh, just enlighten your truth for us and, and help us to see you more fully so that we can believe in you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're coming to the end of summer. We talked a little bit about that, right? And um, how many of you, show of hands, had an opportunity to, to get away for a little bit this, week, this summer, right? Like, whether it was a weekend, it was a week away, you had a chance to travel. How many of you, uh, show of hands, drove more than two hours at some point? Okay. Uh, how many of you drove more than two hours with uh, children? Woo! My heroes right there. Um, man, whenever I think about traveling... Uh, it brings out this uh, alter ego in Blake Lawyer's life. Uh, and all of a sudden, everything, like the mission, completely changes. And uh, we, we went to Florida this year, and, and we start talking about how we're going to get to Florida. Everyone knows we're getting to Florida. They're ready to be in the beach and the ocean, like all those things. But there is this huge conversation in Blake Lawyer's head about how we are getting to Florida. And I want to leave as early as humanly possible Right? If you're, if you're a parent of those little hooligans, you know you want to get in the car as early as you can or as late as you can, like while they're sleeping. Because when you get into that car, right? So, so if you've been there, you know. You get in the car really early and you try to get everybody to sleep. And then a couple hours in, it's when it really starts. Right? And the questions start coming. When are we stopping? When are we stopping to go to the bathroom? Dad, I have to go to the bathroom. And I'm checking my GPS, and I'm like, we are ahead of schedule. We are not stopping, right? We, we're not stopping. We're, uh, and then it's really weird because not only do I not care about the needs of everyone else in the car, but I want all of my needs, like, taken care of for me. You know, it's like you get into this zone, and you're driving down the interstate, and you're like, I need a snack. I need a snack, but I can't take my eyes off the road. Somebody snack me, right? It's like... <laughs> Get, like take care of my needs. I'm driving, and we are getting to Florida, and, and that becomes kind of this alter ego that is just coming out of me. I, maybe I'm the only one, but but I find myself in this moment like I'm driving the car, I'm on the journey, and I forget, I forget that the goal is for all of us as a family to get to and enjoy vacation. Because in that moment, it's all about me and my time card and trying to like beat my time to get to Florida. Which we did this year. (laughs) It was awesome. (laughs) We made really great time. Don't tell the cops between here and there on I-65, right? So when we think about this uh, life that we all live, and we try to back out of for just maybe a little bit on a Sunday morning, back out of the the rush and the bustle and the hustle and just the craziness of it, and when we try to we try to step out of that and think about this journey that we call life we realize that we're on this journey with God, right? We, we, we are in the driver's seat on and, and, and this thing called life. But what we often forget is what I think I forgot when I was driving to Florida. And we forget that we're helping other people on their journey too. The, at the end of the day, we're all trying to get to Florida, right? We're all trying to, to get to this place where we are with the Lord. We, we we're made by him to to create to desire that right to to want to be with him to want to have him set that fire down in our soul right but in the craziness of life in our desire to be on mission sometimes we get in the driver's seat and we don't listen to anybody around us we want everybody to get us a snack and keep us going on our own journey So, as we look at this passage today, it reveals some things about God that I think can really uh, affect the way that we think about Him and the way that we understand His love for us. And I hope that our belief about Him changes our behaviors because that's what it's all about, right? So, when I come to this passage about Jesus' baptism, I love it. It's, It's one of the most unique passages in all of Scripture because as Jesus comes up out of the water, there's this completely unique moment where all the, the, the persons of God, all the persons of the Trinity, and we're going to dive into what that means and what that looks like, are, are really clearly manifested. Jesus, as a human being, is coming up out of the water. The, the Spirit is descending on him like a dove, and we hear the voice of our Heavenly Father saying, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. What does that mean? And why does that happen when Jesus is baptized? But before we get to that, I want us to take note of something that we really easily uh, just jump over. Right at the beginning of the passage, it says that Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan. That's like a 60 to 70 mile journey that he walked. Right? You talk about getting to vacation. Imagine walking 60 to 70 miles to go and be baptized. And, and here's what's even crazier about that is that Jesus didn't do this for himself if there was ever anyone that didn't need to to go and to submit himself to the process of baptism, it was Jesus. And so he makes this 60 to 70 mile journey to be baptized by a guy who has no right to, to be doing it, and to participate in a baptism that he doesn't really even need. To put that in perspective, right, if, if all of us decided that we were going to uh, pay homage to Jesus' baptism and just in this moment stand up and say, we're going to make the same journey that Jesus did to be baptized, it would be like us standing up out of our chairs, beginning to walk towards Elizabethtown, Kentucky, and 21 hours and 13 minutes, says Google Maps, later, we would arrive there if, we'd never, if we didn't stop. Think about walking continuously for 21 hours and 13 minutes. This was a journey. This was was an effort that Jesus put forth. And I'm going to guess that on that journey, many of us would be tempted to begin thinking about our own needs, to begin thinking about why we're doing this, to begin grasping for some meaning in this journey to eat out. You see, one of the sneakiest tools of the devil is convincing us that, that everything is connected to us. That all of our experiences, all the things that we feel, the things that we hear, the the things that we learn are somehow intimately connected to us. Let me put it in some modern examples, right? We have a conversation. Maybe we're sitting down with our our spouse or maybe we're talking to our kids or a friend or a coworker. And as we're having that conversation, automatically our human nature begins to think about our related experiences. For some of us, that means that we're preparing our one-up story, right? Maybe. Some of us are one-uppers. For others of us, right, we're just thinking about how does this apply to my life? But but for almost all of us, we're we're automatically beginning to think about ourselves in the situation. Um, We just default naturally to thinking about how changes affect us. Somebody says, this is what's going to change. As we move from summer to fall, this is how our calendar changes. And we're thinking, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for my schedule? It's it's human nature for us to do this. Uh, The Lord, uh, as I was just preparing this week, one of the fun culture pieces that he brought to mind for me was a song written uh, a while ago by a lady named Carly Simon. You're so vain. (laughs) I bet you think this song is about you, right? For those of you who are a little younger like me, she was like Taylor Swift back in the day. <laughs> right? So She's like having all these flings and singing about them, vaguely. Uh, and so she, she writes this song, and it's about this uh, supposedly about this guy, and the chorus is, You're so vain. I bet you think this song is about you, don't you? Don't you? And here's the irony of that song. So Carly Simon has basically lived a life off of this song because she refuses to reveal who the song is really about. And so for decades Carly Simon has been running around um, singing the song, celebrating the song, and everyone's like, well who is the song really about? Because naturally everyone's wondering who's so vain that they would think the song is about them. And the irony of the situation, right, is that in doing that Carly Simon has made the song about her. (laughs) She's so vain. That the song is about her. And so often, like that's just our human nature, right? We just want to tie everything back to, to us and to our experience and how we feel. And, and the irony, the, the difficulty in that as we have gospel conversations, as we think about loving God, is that love requires that we don't think about ourselves. Jesus had no need to be baptized, and yet he didn't. He did it. It didn't get him anything that he didn't already have access to. It didn't, it didn't earn him any brownie points. It didn't make him better. He was God. He was already all-powerful. He had access to everything he needed. He was perfect. But he did it. Why? Tim Keller tweeted this, uh, and it was just uh, super convicting. He says, True gospel humility means that I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. In fact... I stop thinking about myself. I don't know if that's even possible, but it's really challenging to think about that. And I think there's only one sure way that we can stop thinking about ourselves. And that is to to begin to focus in and think about who God is. Because as we think about who God is, in those moments, God helps us to slowly take the focus off of ourselves. Because you see, God's presence is most obvious when our power is most absent. God's presence is, is most obvious in our lives. We feel God moving the most in our lives. We see him doing the most things when we are able to have the least amount of power for us in our lives. So let's think about God for just a few minutes. Together, let's talk about who God is and let's, let's talk about how we can know Him better through this passage, and see how that affects who we are. You see, God has always existed, and He will forever continue to exist as three persons with one essence. We can't even grasp that. We talk about it, but we we, we struggle to grasp it. And Jesus' baptism, as we talked, is the clearest manifestation of all three persons that we see in Scripture. But it's it's affirmed all over the place, right? So, all the way back to the beginning when God makes man, he says, let us, let us make man in our own image. And, and there from the beginning you see that, that God is multifaceted, that there are three persons in one. It's difficult, if not impossible, with our human brains to conceive that, that God is eternal as well, right? That he's always existed. The Father has always been. Jesus has always been. The Holy Spirit has, has always been. Even before creation, God was. And what what blows our minds about that, right, and and this is almost hard to think about, like we're we're like way up in the clouds for just a minute. What's difficult to think about is we want to wrap everything into what we can understand and, and that is what we see in creation. But the God that we serve was existent and was powerful and was loving and he didn't need us before he made any of that. And what's incredibly powerful about our God, as we see in the Trinity, is that the God who loves you showed us how he loves you by the way that he loved himself. What do I mean by that? How could three persons who are completely God, who are all-powerful, exist in one essence as God? If Jesus is all powerful and, and God the Father is all powerful, how, how does that work together? And then you throw in the Holy Spirit. If, he, if He's got all the power, I'm like, wait a second, there's got to be a sharing of power, right? How does that work? You see, even before creation, God, in His infiniteness and in His power, was, was sacrificing, was giving up to Himself to love Himself within the Trinity. You see, each person of the Trinity is required to sacrifice, to give up in order for the God that we worship to be God. The Father gives up His Son. You may recognize a familiar passage from John 3.16. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. He, he gave that up in order to be the God that we know and love. But Jesus gave up something too. Jesus gave up His earthly kingship, We read in Scripture and we know that that Satan tried to give Jesus the world. He tried to make him the earthly king, and he wasn't the only one. Uh, John 6.15 says, Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The people wanted him to be the king. Satan wanted him to be the king. Everybody wanted Jesus to be the king, but Jesus understood in his power and in his eternality that if he did that, He would destroy who God is, a God who sacrificially loves. But the Spirit also gives up in this relationship of the Trinity. He gives up his power. John 15, 26, Jesus is teaching the disciples about who the Spirit will be. And he says, When the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. The Spirit who is God, who is all-powerful, isn't concerned with making a name for himself, but rather testifying about Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, who dies to pay for our sins, and who lives so that we might live with him. That's the one that the Spirit tells us about instead of telling us about himself. So God, three in one, created you. He created you in his image, That means inside of us, this this sacrificial love, this giving up of things is happening in you. And yet, God knew that you would be self-focused. He knew that that you would be wrapped up in your thoughts and your emotions and your feelings instead of being focused on Him. And yet, we read in Scripture that while we are still wrapped up in ourselves, while we are still wrapped up in in selfish sin and the things that, that make us ugly, He came as Jesus Christ and gave his life for us. He came in the form of a man to die on a cross and pay for those sins. But that's where it gets good, right? Because he's not dead. He came back to life three days after dying and sent the Holy Spirit, who is also God, to live in us when we believe in him. God's presence is most obvious when our power is most absent. Let's put some of this together with a story. Jesus' baptism is perhaps the moment of greatest vulnerability in Jesus' story. He's tired from this long journey, from this long walk. He he comes to John, and he has to, to give up his authority, right? Like, John's like, whoa, are you sure I should be doing this? And Jesus is like, it's okay, do it. He submits to something that he contextually didn't need. Jesus is sacrificing all over the place to be baptized. And yet, when he does that, each person of the Trinity is is clearly present. God is obviously present when Jesus is willing to lay down himself for others. Why is that true? It's true because God is glorified by the fulfillment of righteousness. He's he's glorified by the right thing. He's glorified by the truth and by trusting obedience. This is why believer's baptism is so important to us, right? It's so important because your baptism as a believer, it's a marker for you, but it has meaning for God. It's a marker for you because it marks that point where you begin to, as Tiffany talked about, to really trust or to rely or to, to give your life to him. But for God, it's this incredible celebration in the fact that, that you, as his child, have given your life to him in love. Romans 6, 3-4 through says, Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life see, our heart in baptism that we have as we are baptized is to fulfill righteousness just as Christ did, to, to submit ourselves as Christ did to the Father. And God celebrates because he sees his child doing the right thing. Now, before we walk away from this passage, there's, there's someone else that I want you and I to think about before we, before we go outside. And that's John. Right? It's, it's easy to, to talk about Jesus being so self-sacrificial. It's easy to think about God you know, being the perfect image of sacrificial love. But, but then there's John. John is a human like you and I. Now, John was an exceptional human. He was a leader. He was incredibly selfless. His entire life was to be the forerunner of Christ. He was respected as a spiritual leader of the day. But when Jesus showed up that day in the Jordan River... John let his humanity show just a little bit. Verse 14. It says but John tried to stop Jesus saying, I need to be baptized by you and yet you come to me. And Jesus answered him, allow it for now because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John allowed him to be baptized. John was intimidated And rightly so. Can you imagine being in the presence of Jesus? John was self-conscious. You know, in that moment where you're coming into contact with the Lord, maybe you've had that moment where you begin to realize that God is real and that he's convicting you and challenging you. And and all those things that John had done in life that he wasn't proud of, they're flashing before his eyes like, how in the world am I going to baptize Jesus? He's perfect and he's standing right here. He is fearful. And yet, he baptizes Jesus. I'm just going to be honest, I'm not sure if Jesus came to me and said, baptize me, that I could do it. But John follows through. Why does that happen? It happens because John acted, not out of his emotions, but out of his beliefs. Not because of what he felt, but because of what he believed to be true about God. And if there's something that we need to walk away with, it's, it's this, that your beliefs about God determine your behavior. Your beliefs about God determine your behavior. How many of you all have seen uh, Disney's Aladdin? I got some throwback stuff today. We got Carly Simon and Aladdin, all right? Maybe that's throwback, or maybe you're like, I don't know what this is. It's okay. There's a scene in Aladdin, right? They figure out who Aladdin is and he's running through the city, and Jasmine has already, you know, kind of fallen for Prince, uh, Prince Aladdin. And they're running through the city, and, and the guys are chasing him, and Aladdin's got his magic carpet ride, and he's like going through the city, and they come to this point, and Jasmine is going to be stuck. The city, she's, she's, she's standing at the edge of the city that she has known, that she has loved, that she's the princess of. It is her city, And the screen pans out, it it focuses in on Aladdin's face, and he reaches out his hand. What's he say? Do you trust me? It's this dramatic moment in Disney film. Do you trust me? And it goes back to Jasmine's face, and she squints her eyes. You see the passionate love of a Disney princess? Yes. She hops on the magic carpet, right? And away they go. And then there's the rest of the story. and You know, it's a good story. So here's the thing. Jasmine doesn't get on the magic carpet unless she truly believes in Aladdin's ability to save her. She doesn't do it. She doesn't do it because despite the fact that they're running from these guys, it's still her kingdom. It's still her life. She could go back and be the princess, and everything could, in some sense, go back to normal. But she trusts that Aladdin is speaking the truth about this kingdom. In much the same way, we like the idea of God as Aladdin super cool, your ticket out of here, your Savior. But I think for many of us, we're standing at that exact moment that Aladdin and Jasmine were in, and God is saying to us, do you really trust me? This is it. Like, we're leaving the city. You will no longer be able to be here and be the princess. And what that means for us is God is saying, do you trust me? Because when you give me your life for real, all the things in your life that you want to be in control of, they're going to be back there. All the things that you think you want out of this life, the, the dreams, the goals, what Like, I'm telling you, those things are going to have to fall in line with whatever's on my magic carpet. Do you trust me? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about him? Your beliefs about God determine your behavior. Because if you don't fully believe in, in God, three persons in one who is sacrificially loving you day in and day out, desiring and yearning for that personal relationship with you, then your behaviors, your behaviors won't line up with that. You'll still be living for yourself. Even though outwardly you can say, yeah, I believe in God. So this means that today, you and I, you can look at your behaviors and you can determine what you truly believe about God. It's much easier to say, I believe in God, and then hope that your actions match up. But when you, in, when you reverse that and you begin to ask yourself, what are my real actions? What, like, what is my life really made up of? And ask yourself what that means about what you believe about the God who created and made you. It's, it's a little scary. For example, if you don't spend personal time with God, if you you don't feel like you have a real relationship where you pray and have conversations and, and hear from God's Word in the Bible, you more than likely struggle to believe that you can have a real personal relationship with Him in the first place. To you, God is more of this mythical force that you're scared of than the personal God who loves you. If you don't value gathering with the church, you probably struggle to believe that the church really is the bride of Christ. Think about that truth for a minute. The church is the bride of Christ. Now, here's the thing. If you truly believe that Jesus is your Savior and that the church is his bride, man, I would not treat my Savior's bride the way that that sometimes I treat the church. If you try and and live a life where you're canceling out your bad works with good ones, that that means that you struggle to believe that it really is by grace that you've been saved through faith in Jesus Christ and that there's nothing you can do to earn it. If you're, um, man, here's a tough one. If you are worried more about feeding yourself than serving others, if you're worried more about feeding yourself than serving others, then you probably struggle to believe that it's God who sustains you. You're looking for the next good sermon, the next program, whatever. You're not looking to the Spirit of God who lives in you to sustain you. If you don't ever share the gospel with people, if you don't remember the last time that you had a conversation about Jesus with someone who didn't believe in Him, then you likely struggle to believe that God can use you, which shows, again, that you doubt the power of God living in you. Your belief about God determine your behavior. If you run ahead of God, man, this is a tough one too, right? We're smart people. God gives us brains, and sometimes we try to get ahead of God, and we try to fix things, and we try to get ahead of Him. And if we do that, it means that we struggle to believe that God is working for the good of those who love the Lord, and He just wants us to love Him, and He'll work it out. If you view the consequences of your sin as a punishment from God, then you might be struggling to believe that God is, is loving you like a father loves a child. As, as a father disciplines his child, God is disciplining you, and that too is for your own good. Maybe if you constantly live in guilt or shame, not feeling you measure up, then you struggle to believe that, that this God created you in His image, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, with a plan for your life. Your beliefs about God determine your behavior. What do you believe about God? Maybe the better question is, who do you believe in? Because at the end of the day, as a church, we can either doubt or we can move. Those are the options. We either doubt or we move in faith. This idea of the Trinity being really clear in Scripture, we see it in lots of places. We see it in creation, we see it uh, here at Jesus' baptism. And then we also get a really clear picture of it when God tells us what our mission as the missional church is. Matthew chapter 28. And I'm ending here, okay, I promise. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16. Jesus has died, he's he's come back to life, and he's told his disciples to, to meet me in Galilee. So verse 16, it says, the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee. So again, we have this journey A journey that tempts us to to think it's about us. They traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. But some doubted. They doubted. And when we doubt, it affects our behaviors. Because what we believe about God determines our behaviors. And what I love is that Jesus doesn't squelch their doubts. He doesn't go into this apologetic course about all the reasons that they can have faith in Jesus. He's standing there in front of them, and so he just calls them to mission because he knows, too, that, that they either believe in him or they don't. And if they do, their behaviors will speak for themselves. And so it says, Jesus came near, and he said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, that moment where we see God three in one clearly, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. We can all say that we love God, but when we leave this place, each one of us is either going to doubt or we're going to move. We're going to be a part of the mission, or we're just going to keep our life going. What do you believe about God? Because it will determine the answer to that question. The band's going to come, and as they do, I want to share one, one story. Uh, one of our professors uh, shared this idea, and it was really compelling to me. He says, you know, atheists don't Typically, have difficulty with the existence of God. They can usually get to a point where they think that God is plausible, but what they struggle with is the character of God. They struggle with the idea that God could exist as three in one, and that He really could be self self self-sacrificial, right? Like that He doesn't have to serve Himself. There's a story of a young lady named Jordan Monge, and she she had been a self-proclaimed atheist for. Her whole life, she said. At age four, she actually was at a birthday party, and somebody talked about Jesus, and she was like, "Why do you believe in that anyway?" And the you know that was her life. And she went to Harvard uh, seeking veritas, truth. And she wrote this article about how her pursuit of truth intellectually led her to the Lord. And she, she writes this at the end. She said, I've been waiting for my head and my heart to be in agreement. And She said, by the end of this retreat, they weren't completely in sync. I she said, I pursued the Lord with all that I had, right? And I wanted them to be in agreement, but they, they still weren't there. And she said, many days they still aren't. But I realized that the unity could come later. If my heart had agreed at one point and my head agreed now, then my heart would follow. I couldn't let a malfunctioning heart delay the logical course of action, the obedience required by true faith. She says, This walk has proved to be quite a journey. I've struggled with depression. I would yell, scream. I would cry at this God whom I had begun to love but didn't always like. But never once did I have to sacrifice my intellect for my faith, and he blessed me most keenly through my doubt. God revealed himself through scripture, through prayer, through friendships, and the Christian tradition whenever I pursued him faithfully. I cannot say for certain where the journey ends, but I've committed to following the way of Christ wherever it may lead. And when confronted with the overwhelming body of evidence I encountered, when facing down the living God, action was the only rational course. And she says, I came to Harvard seeking veritas, truth. But instead... He found me. Do you really love God? Because He loves you. And He's pursued you. I want you to, as we respond today, take a moment and and think about your behaviors in this world. Would your behaviors speak to your belief in God? Today, Maybe you've never accepted Christ. Maybe you've had all these doubts and you feel like those doubts keep you from embracing a personal relationship with him. Here we see a picture of the the disciples doubting Jesus and yet they're worshiping him. So can you. If today you've never said, I want to follow Christ with all of my heart, even though it's not there yet. We invite you to come to, to, to pray with us, to let us know that you're making a decision to, to maybe accept him for the first time. Maybe you've been pretending. <laughs> it's easy for us to all do.